Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, Clinical ClinCheck Review with Dr. Brian Gray. Dr. Brian Gray has been treating Invisalign patients since 2001 at his private practice in Washington, D.C. He's an instructor at the L.D. Pankey and Dawson Institutes, along with seven universities. Dr. Gray is a master and LLSR in the Academy of General Dentistry, a fellow in the International Congress of Oral Implantologists and International College of Dentists, and the Academy of Dentistry International. Dr. Gray is also a graduate from the Georgetown University School of Dentistry. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Brian Gray. Dr. Gray, you now have the floor. Thank you, David. Um, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to speak today and um, to share my thoughts with you on Invisalign, uh, ClinCheck in particular, which is what we're going to look at. Uh, with that, I want you to know that, uh, that the thoughts that, that I'm sharing with you are my thoughts. Um, I think that a, a line would agree with most of them, but um, uh, this disclaimer lets you know that, that this is uh, my program that I put together and uh, it's the things that I think work best for me in my hands um, and from my experience uh, working and uh, teaching with other doctors. My goal today is for the novice to moderately experienced uh, ClinCheck Invisalign doctor to be able to, to improve outcomes, and, and I'd like to have uh, him or her do that by looking at a ClinCheck and getting a comprehensive review of it in five minutes or less, with a, a, another goal of being able to reduce overall treatment time by a month. Uh, doing that, I think, helps to set us up for success and make things a little bit easier for our patients. The uh, agenda that I put together today is going to be just a quick overview of G3, the, the new software that Invisalign developed. We're going to talk about writing a prescription, uh, clinical preferences. The meat and potatoes of our lecture today is going to be on reviewing ClinCheck, <clears throat> including the five views that I feel are most important, the key views. And then we're going to have a section just talking about five essential tips. Uh, we'll have a little summary, and then I'll, I'll open the floor up to questions. Uh, G3, which uh, was really came uh, available to us back in October, it was a sea change for us with Invisalign. It uh, had a, a number of new features that, that became available, in particular the, the SmartForce features. The doctor site was updated and changed. We were able to add Class 2 and Class 3 features right to the aligners themselves, which, again, uh, for, for now teaching for about a decade with Invisalign, um, is, is kind of something I get to chuckle about because initially we had uh, so many doctors that used to say you couldn't do any uh, types of bodily or sagittal movement with Invisalign and Class 2 and Class 3 was something that would never happen. And Of course, now we know that not only does it happen, but it's a regular part of our treatment. And finally, uh, we're going to talk about right now, we'll get into the ClinCheck 3.0 software. If you have questions about the SmartForce features or G3 itself, um, there's some wonderful uh, information available at the, at the AlignTech Institute and videos in particular, but the Ask the Experts uh, presentations by both Renee Sterenthal and Willie Diane are just fantastic uh, dynamic presentations that provide a, a lot of information for you uh, in a very entertaining format. Uh, looking at the, the, the new software, one of the things that I think everyone picked up on right away was how intuitive it's become and, and how easy the screens were to, to read. We're going to look at really just two different aspects right now that I want to pay attention to. One is uh, the, the new comments, the, the four tabs over there which have comments, changes, treatment, and staging. We'll talk a little bit about those and, and how we can work with those. Um, but also I want to look at the bar up top. We have the usual stuff, um, including our file and our view, advanced tools, uh, export, which we use for sending off uh, videos and uh, still shots to both our patients and to um, our fellow professionals, and then the advanced tools. And the advanced tools um, are 
the key for us to be able to pull down and turn on the um, uh, the grid and the superimposition tool. So you do this by clicking on those. You can you can light up these two little icons here, and then by clicking on the icon, in this case I brought up the grid, um, and the grid is a wonderful tool for us to be able to use to be able to look at um, uh, a precise method for us to measure single plane changes uh, with the teeth. And the superimposition tool is more of a th for a quick view of looking at three-dimensional change. Um, I like to use the superimposition tool for my overall evaluation and to show my patient's progress. And the grid, I think, is an excellent way of communicating any modification requests to our line laboratory technicians. So th those two, uh, two things are here. You have to turn them on with advanced tools to get the icons, and then you can turn them on and off as necessary when you're looking at a ClinCheck itself. Just touching on writing a prescription, it's important, I think, for us to know the different products that Invisalign has to offer and then the features, um, because that's going to help us with writing a prescription, in particular something like progress tracking, which is available only with assist, and passive alarms are available only with full and with teen, uh, along with the precision cuts. I'm going to leave this uh, available on the, you can get it after the lecture and use it for reference as a number of other slides that I put in here, and that's pretty much what it's for. We talk about uh, our prescription today. We're really going to be talking about the Invisalign full treatment. You know, the other treatment express, as we know, is simple, ten aligners or less. It's a very minor movement. Assist is uh, the ideal and predictable treatment with a, a very limited prescription form. And then, of course, teen is things where we have vertical changes or an eruption, and of course, the issue of compliance to deal with. Um, what, with our prescription nowadays, one of the wonderful things that, that we got with the, uh, with the new software was the ability to put in the initial patient data, and we have our team members, our staff members do that, so that we can just jump in and then click on Start a Prescription. Uh, many people aren't aware, but the, the picture that you load can be uh, hidden for HIPAA purposes. The um, comments that you see over on the far right side that you put in are both searchable and sortable. Um, there's a, wonder, a number of wonderful features that are associated with it, and when we look at the prescription itself, we'll get to see a few of those. When we click on that button to bring up the prescription, you really have two different parts available to you. On the left side, you've got the questions that are addressing the specific issues for the prescription that you're filling out. And on the right side are clinical preferences that you can set for that single prescription itself. Um, for instance, when we go through our prescription and we bring this up, you can see that we have this typical setup, and here I'm on question three and four. Well, one of the neat things that you have available is that there's a ribbon now that, that flows across the top with any of the Invisalign things. And say you get partway through this and decide that you want to actually go with a different Invisalign option, you can just click on that option and jump back to wherever you were at instead of clicking your back button up on the top corner of your screen. Another neat feature is um, what they, we call the smart prescription forms. If you click on a button, it will light up, uh, the, in essence, the screen below so that you cannot go on to the next step without checking a specific uh, uh, tooth. In this case, I click do not place an attachment on these teeth. Well, it won't let me go forward. It will turn it green if I try and go forward, and I'll have to click on do not place an attachment on tooth 9 and 10, for instance. Um, finally, we have over on the right side the clinical preferences that we talked about again just briefly. And this gives us the chance during that prescription to actually bring up information. In this, in this case, we're talking about attachments again. We can click on the attachment interface, and it will give us the ability to bring up this interface, in this case with the three different types of attachments that are available, rotation, retention, and extrusion. You can click on a specific attachment itself and then select the specific size that you'd like for that type of attachment. 
you can also click on the tab and, in essence, grab onto an attachment and drag and drop it onto a tooth. Um, that's just some of the features that are available with the, um, with the preferences as you go through your prescription form. It's important to know that there's a number of preset default types of attachments that are available for your, um, for your ClinCheck when you're doing your setup. And they are, in essence, optimized attachments that are for specific types of movements. You can, by request, place different attachments, but it's important to know that if you place certain attachments in places where there might be an optimized attachment, it will take you out of the, the G3 protocols and reduce your ability to be able to use the optimized attachments. So in summary, uh, for just going back to what we learned in our uh, CE1 course, uh, the new prescription is very intuitive and easy to use, and the information that we put in the comments section is the same. We want to bullet point our requests, meaning put down a, a specific thought and just hit enter, and it, it becomes its own separate line. Be brief and concise about what you want to say. I say always use reference points. In essence, you want to say, please move the incisal edge of tooth number 24 so it matches 25. And then be specific. In this case, uh, you're going to say, please extrude tooth number 24 so that it's on the same level as number 25, and then quantify. In this case, we'll say, please extrude tooth number 24, 0.2 millimeters, so that it is even with the incisal edge of tooth number 25. By doing that, you're going to make things much easier for your technician to be able to supply you with the type of ClinCheck that is going to be most effective for you. What I do want to share most importantly is to not get hung up on the prescription. I want you to get the information in and get this sent off as soon as possible. There's a wonderful uh, term that, that's uh, from the computer industry that I like to use now. It's done is better than perfect. And what we mean by that is in a situation like this, it's better for us to be done and get that, get that prescription off so that we can get a ClinCheck manufactured than to sit there and try and uh, uh, wordsmith it and tweak it uh, to death because we're going to get that ClinCheck back and we'll be able to actually look at it. So. Done is better than perfect. Let's get that prescription off and get our ClinCheck back. Let's talk briefly about the clinical preferences. Now, the preferences I talked about a moment ago were clinical preferences that are associated with the prescription as you're filling it out. There's also what we call the global clinical preferences or universal clinical preferences, and those are the ones that we preset um, that are going to kind of give us our overall arch, our overarching viewpoint of what we'd like to accomplish with our setups. There's 14 questions as opposed to the four that were originally listed. Um, briefly, they are the tooth numbering system, which is now over in this screen and not in the ClinCheck screen, your dual arch treatment, which allows you to pick a similar start or similar finish. Defaults will have things that, such as Express having a similar finish. Passive aligners, which are zero aligners. Um, these apply only for a dual start or a dual mid-course correction. They're not available for assist, but a zero movement aligner means that it's the same as the previous aligner. If it was uh, number nine and you had four or five passive aligners, you'd have number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine for that arch while you were doing treatment in the uh, opposing arch. Um, you also have the ability to remove your IPR from your first ClinCheck. And this, of course, is going to give you a longer, more conservative treatment, but it will also give you an idea of what you can accomplish without doing any IPR. You can set that as a, a default, or you can ask for um, the, in this case, I'm sorry, you can set it so that you get your regular IPR on your ClinCheck's as normal, or say no as a default for yourself. You also have the ability to 
delay IPR and attachments. This was kind of a carryover from the early days when we used to not put attachments or, or do IPR in the first few stages so we could have patients be comfortable with aligners. Um, it's something I don't personally feel is necessary anymore. You have the ability to address pontics. Uh, a smaller pontic is going to give you better grip on, on adjacent teeth. Um, you're, with your arch expansion, you have the ability to control where you'd want to expand the arch as well as how much expansion. Note that this is by quadrant and not by arch itself on uh, point number eight. Two-size discrepancy is the same as the old form, but it's simplified and much easier for us to address. Uh, a new one that I really, really like is the, uh, the upper arch tooth leveling feature, which gives us the chance to give us the cosmetic setup of high, low, high. That, that's the ideal setup where we have the gingival heights, high, low, and then high from canine to central. And same with the incisal edge where the, the lateral incisor is just a little bit shorter. Uh, for the aligners, we now have the ability to trim them. Uh, you can have them trimmed halfway between the gingival margin and the CEJ. If you have someone with a tremendous amount of recession uh, where there might be a lot of undercuts, you may want to consider the other option. The C-chain we're going to talk about a little bit later on. It's the ability to kind of squeeze the teeth together. And finally, the attachments and the AP correction things, uh, the hooks and the button cutouts uh, are a little bit more advanced uh, things, but uh, we'll cover those in a little bit of detail as well. Finally, if you did have previous preferences, you can peel those out by clicking on the uh, link on the bottom and then pasting them into your instructions. But I would like to share with you that, that I want you to do that only if you've got a tremendous amount of experience and are comfortable with those types of movements. What I'd really like you to do is to go back and change your settings to the aligned defaults. By doing that, by putting your settings back at aligned defaults, you give yourself the ability to take advantage fully of all the G3 features that are available, as well as being able to use the optimized attachments. Let's get into the, the heart of our uh, presentation today. We're going to talk about reviewing ClinCheck right now. And I'd like to go over some basics. This is another reference slide for you. you know, I, I'm very big on having standardized systems in, in our practice. I think it helps to make things predictable and easy, and everyone knows what to expect. I do the same for my ClinCheck reviews. Uh, with my ClinCheck review, I like to have the photos and models in front of me uh, at all times. I like to have a punch list available, which I'm going to talk about. And I want to turn on the advanced tools and then move, look at the tooth movement assessment. I really have two different parts to this. I have my overview, which takes about a minute and a half, and I write down my notes. And then I have my five key views that I buzz through, and that takes about two and a half minutes. It leaves me about at about four and uh, three and a half minutes. I have, or sorry, four minutes. It leaves me about a minute to be able to get any notes I need to put down about uh, staging or changing my IPR, et cetera, and my modifications. And then finally, I, at my first clinch, I'll look at adding uh, a C-chain over correction line or any passive liners as needed. This is a copy of my punch list. Um, it's, I'm going to break it up into two parts for us today, the upper and lower part. Uh, this will be available both as a PDF and a Word doc. But more importantly, uh, I'm sharing with you my thoughts, the things that, that were, have worked best for me over the years and that, um, that I like to make sure I pay specific attention to. That's not necessarily the things that you may pay specific attention to or that you may uh, feel are important. So uh, what I'd like you to do is look this over and, uh, and take what you like and discard what you don't. If you want to use it, you're welcome to copy the whole thing. Uh, but the idea at the end of the day is that I want you to have something that's going to be able to give you an efficient and repeatable way to have your clinch checks done thoroughly, comprehensively, to uh, reduce time for you uh, at the end of the day 
uh, when it comes to treatment. So again, here's the, the upper part which we're going to look at, my overview, and then the five key views uh, that we'll talk about as well. When we look at the, the, this upper part, I've really kind of divided it into three different views themselves, and then what's something I call SIAM. Uh, SIAM is just my staging, my IPR, my attachments, and my movement assessment, uh, uh, just a, this wonderful new feature that I'm, I'm not sure many people are fully aware of. Um, the bottom part, we're going to look at five different views, my anterior view, my buckle view again, an anterior overjet, our canine view, and then our lingual incisor playthrough. Looking at that overview, the top part of my sheet, uh, and those, those different things that we're going to talk about, let's first look at the SIAM part that we talked about. And as I do with all these sheets, you'll see, you'll, look, you'll see an example towards the end here. I write my notes down. I scribble on those forms. I fill them all out. I get everything I want down, transfer that over into my comment section for my technician, and then I'm able to send off my ClinCheck as quickly as possible. Uh, an important thing to, to be aware of is that uh, the amount of days, the, the average amount of days that a ClinCheck sits uh, once it's returned from the uh, facility in Costa Rica is seven business days. Um, that means a ClinCheck comes back and it takes a week and a half for a doctor just to be able to, to make the changes and send it back. And one of the other things that I want us to be able to do is to look at that uh, and to get it taken care of and get it sent off as soon as possible. Looking at that tooth movement assessment that I talked about in SIAM, the, uh, the M part of SIAM, if you open up the box on the, on the right-hand side, and at the Treatment tab, click on Tooth Movement Assessment, it will bring up this type of form. You'll notice that there are colors associated with this, and these colors, for those of you that are familiar with downhill skiing, are very familiar. It would be the green circle, the blue square, and the black diamond. Green, square, green circle meaning a very, very easy movement, blue more challenging, black very challenging. So that when we look at a form, for instance, in this case we have a one green and we have three blues, these Teeth that are plain mean that we fully expect everything to be accomplished in the aligner itself. It's a very predictable movement. A green means it's a little bit challenging, but also should be able to be accomplished in the aligner. Blue means it's a little bit more challenging. It's in that moderate category. And in this case, that means that this tooth number 21 is blue because the movement that's challenging is intrusion. And the reason that it's challenging is that it has a value of 0.09 millimeters. Our range is 0.05 to 0.2 to 1 millimeter. So it's on the upper end of the challenging movements for us. Pretty much if you've gotten a dozen treatment plans underneath your belt and ClinCheck's going and, and uh, you're working through those cases, you see uh, green and some blue movements, you should be able to move forward without too much difficulty, knowing that you may have to um, have a few extra little uh, arrows in your quiver to address them later on. Now let's take a peek at our anterior view. When I look at my anterior view playthrough in this overview, again, this is 90 seconds. I'm going to be buzzing through. So this is about 30 seconds uh, itself. I'm looking at my hard tissue, that, that cosmetic setup that we talked about, my incisal edges. I want to see how the extrusions are with the teeth because those are one of the most challenging movements with Invisalign. I'm looking for a nice smile line. My soft tissue, I'm looking at the, my, both my gingival height and contour and seeing if there's any black triangles that appear. This is where the superimposition tool can be very, very helpful for us in this overview. Here, looking at this ClinCheck, uh, which was one that we'll refer to uh, throughout this lecture, we're looking at the movements of how this initially came back. And we see kind of a whole bunch of different things going on, including a lot of round tripping down here in this lower left anterior quad, uh, sextant, um, as well as um, we're looking at some movement here. And there's, there's, a little, there's a C chain at the end of this that we're seeing. 
um, a little bit of IPRs asked for. Uh, we've looked at, at the buckle expansion, but it's not until we actually place the superimposition tool on there that we really notice some of the different movements that occur, especially at the end when we're snugging teeth up. So when we play through that again, we get a much better idea of what's going on. Remember, blue is where the teeth start, white is where the teeth are, are going to. You can see in particular the amount of round tripping that occurs uh, with this tooth. It starts out, we bring it out even further, um, and then bring it back into place. And we do that to help line the teeth up better and to reduce the overall amount of IPR that's necessary. But this will also add a little bit to the time of the case. So now taking a look at this and dissecting it when we do our anterior view, I'm going to start looking at certain things. And I just go through my little punch list to be able to, to capture some of those things. The first thing I'm going to look at is midline. I see that this midline is off a teeny bit. I'm going to keep that in mind. I'll even make a note of it. Uh, we know that we have a priority as far as midlines are concerned. The first priority is that the midline is straight up and down. Um, that's the number one priority. A, a midline that's on a slant, the eyes will go immediately too. The second priority is that the midline of the upper splits the filter of the lip and is centered in the face. And then finally, the third and probably least important of the three midline things is to have the upper midline and the lower midline match. Now, I share that with you, and all of us know that we've got patients that want to have that upper and lower midline exactly on. And we strive for that, but to me, that's going to be the third thing of the three that I'm looking for. Um, I also notice that there's a black triangle. I'm going to keep in mind I've got a midline shift and a little black triangle here. I've got some IPR down here. These things may all play a role together. The next thing I look at is my heights. I'm looking at both my gingival heights where I'd like to have a high-low high. I don't have a really ideal high-low high here, and the high-low high here is a little bit better. But these guys are a little bit more extruded. So I'm going to think about intruding these guys about a millimeter, which will also help me with my canine guidance on that side. Next thing I notice is that I have an attachment that's in contact. I'm not playing through this view, but you'll, we'll look at this at the very start. And you notice how sometimes you have an attachment, you get everything, and then the patient has the aligners out, and they're like, wow, I'm really banging on that. And you may have to adjust an attachment, which reduces the ability for that tooth to perform the necessary movements that are needed for either the teeth around it or that tooth itself. Um, so we don't like to have to grind on the attachments. In this case, all I'd need to do is say, please move this attachment a little bit more gingerly, maybe a half a millimeter, a quarter of a millimeter. We notice that there's some round tripping, and so with that, there's going to be crashing. We want to uh, be sure to make sure our patients are aware of that. Um, the nice thing with Invisalign is with the aligners in, they act like little splints, so it's less of an issue. Uh, but I always want to make sure that they know of it, because when they're eating, that's when they're going to feel that the most. And then we've got our IPR down here. Now, Again, one of the things that I looked at was to get a good ideal canine set up, and I'm going to make that even better with a little bit of intrusion here. But if I like the way the canine is, I may not want to do IPR. I may not want to relocate this IPR and the distal of this because I like the way it's set up. Um, and typically, I like to do IPR around my lateral incisors because they're generally V-shaped. So maybe what I want to do is consider relocating this IPR here over to here. And by doing that, I could do the IPR mostly on tooth number 24 and be able to bring this together, get rid of that black triangle, and end up with a little bit of a better um, midline uh, coincidence. Let's look at the buckle view now. There's, there's really three things I'm looking at here. One is a, a glance view, uh, and that's to make sure to check the bite. The second is my sagittal movement, and, my, and the third is my profile changes. This is the view when you look at a split screen, and it's a nice view, but you're not getting a good idea of what your profile changes are with this. You have to actually move the models a teeny bit to be able to do that if you want to look at those together. Um, 
this is a little bit better of a view. You can see now that when I look at that, I can look and see what my incisal angle is here. And if, I've made, if I'm going to make those teeth too flat or if they're, uh, in essence, too far buckly inclined still, and we want to address it. I'll also look at interdigitation. I, I want to see that I've got good interdigitation. This is a, a pontic tooth right here. Um, so it's, it's not a real tooth, but I'm checking. I like the way this is set up. But let me, when I look at this, I'm like, well, you know what? This isn't set up ideally. And we, uh, we see that sometimes where we have a little bit of a rotation in a first molar, sorry, uh, yeah, your first molar, uh, moving back the second molar a little bit. So it may be something I want to address. The flip side is if these guys have worked themselves in to occlusion, um, and are stable, maybe I don't want to address it. And that's going to be a unique thing on a case-by-case -case basis. Now I'm going to look at the occlusal view and play through this. And with this view in particular, I'm looking at pontic spaces for implants. I'm looking to see that I've gotten enough buccal expansion to possibly reduce the amount of IPR that I may want to do. Um, I'm looking at the uh, overall incisal view again just to get a, a glance and overview of how things look here. I also, uh, and we'll address this a little bit later on, I'm looking again at that, uh, in this case, to see that these molars have a little bit of rotation in them and maybe I can get them snugged up better if I, if I just do a little bit of treatment there. Now let's look at the bottom part of that uh, punch list. The bottom part really has these five different things, an anterior start and final view. I'm going to use the grid for that. I'm going to look at the buckle start and final view. I'm going to do an anterior overjet playthrough, a canine contact final view, and then our lingual incisor playthrough. With the anterior start and final view, with the grid, there's some things I'm really looking for. I'm looking at the incisal edges, again, in detail in that midline, and in, in particular, any change that might occur. I want to look at that gingival height, and I also want to take a peek at my buccal expansion. By just dropping this grid onto here at the start, this is here, here's our start of treatment, um, I've lined this guy up, and in this case, let's take tooth number nine. I've lined it up so that I'm right up at the, at the gingival edge here, and you'll notice that the, the lower line is just about at the incisal edge, 10 millimeters, and hanging off just a little bit on the distal. If we look down here on the bottom after I've gone through my tooth movement, you now can see that this is almost a full millimeter longer than it was before. The gingival height is the same. So how did the tooth go from being 10 millimeters long to 11 millimeters long? The tooth didn't actually grow in length. This is because of relative intrusion or extrusion. In this case, we're getting some relative extrusion by bringing that tooth in from this buckle flared uh, buck tooth appearance. That tooth, in essence, becomes longer in the overall plane of treatment. Um, and that's going to be important for us when we're looking at our overall gingival setup. So when we look at this setup when we're done, we were able to jump that crossbite in a decent manner. But do we have this tooth flared out so much that we may want to consider some buccal root torque to be able to get this guy in a better position? We're looking at gingival heights again. Part of the reason that we'd have that tooth and with that gingival at that height is because of something like that. Um, we're looking at the amount of buccal expansion. It's easier for us to just go ahead and, again, drop that grid on, use a specific reference point, and go ahead and see if we're getting the amount of buccal expansion that we want, possibly being able to reduce the overall amount of IPR that might be necessary. Now we're going to go to the buccal view. Buccal view, by the way, to me, is by far the most important uh, view and step in our Klinchek evaluation. Um, and the reason for that is I need to make sure that the bite is right. I want to share something with you uh, about that in just a minute. I'm going to evaluate a couple other things as well. My curve of speed, I'm going to look at my sagittal movement, and again, I'm going to look again at that profile change up, uh, up in the anterior in particular. 
looking back at this clincheck that we looked at earlier, now we're looking at it from a buckle view. And you'll notice that we've got, here's our setup, and we're going to play through it. You notice that as we play through this view, we'll look at our changes up front here, and we got some nice settling in the back here. we got those teeth closed down so that we're able to close into that occlusion, remembering that that's a pontic there. That's all well and good. Um, it matches up really well with this. So we see we had a little open bite here to begin with, and we've got everything else the way it is. Ah, but Brian, you blew it. You missed, buddy, and here's why you missed. That's not correct. We've sent an incorrect bite to our technician. This happens, I think, more often than not, and if we don't catch it early on, it can become uh, devastating for us as far as our results are with ClinCheck. One of the big advantages of traditional fixed ortho is that when people are in fixed ortho, the teeth are interdigitating with each other so that we're able to go ahead and facilitate our, our movements in a single plane, but we're also controlling the, the, uh, the, how the teeth line up for our bite. We don't get that with Invisalign because 22 hours a day the aligners are in place, and something like this may miss, we may miss at the initial part, and it can cause trouble. So when we see this, and now I'm going to look at this from one of my favorite views, so this is the, that lingual view. I've done the superimposition tool on these teeth. This is the initial ClinCheck setup. We can see how much actual uh, extrusion we're looking to get to close up the gap here of the, what this open bite is. But if these teeth were originally in their proper position, it means they're going to touch, and I'm going to end up with an open bite all throughout the rest of my arch. I've seen this with certain cases, and it's, it's usually something that can be overcome without too much difficulty, but obviously you don't want to have to address it to begin with. So let's talk about addressing that. If you notice that your bite does not look correct on this second view, it's important that you get information to your technician to change it. The slowest way to do that is to send a new bite registration to it. Let's use uh, the quicker high-tech ways of doing that. Probably one of the quickest, easiest ways is to just take, put some occlusion paper in and have the patient bite down, dot, dot, and then send in these pictures to your, to your tech so they can see where the, where the uh, contact points are. Another way would be to just take a picture of the bite registration, and you can do that. Um, these, though, both require having the patient come in to the office in order to do that. If you've taken models and you've mounted them on an articulator, it's easy for you to be able to show uh, how the bite should be by just taking a picture of the models themselves. This is going to be a great way to communicate this information to your technician. Probably the best thing, though, would be to provide a better buckle view to begin with. I'd like to share just something with you briefly that I've noticed over the years that uh, happens uh, when we're looking at our shots. When we take our different views with Invisalign, we have our three extraoral and our five intraoral views. Um, you take our anterior shot, and then we get our buckle shots. In our buckle shots, we should strive as best as possible to be able to see the second molars. We do not want to take the typical American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry shot, the AACD shot, of looking at the canines themselves um, pr primarily with just some sort of a peak down the corridor. So that means we want to get as far back with the retractor so we can get a nice buckle view. We want to come in perpendicular to this shot. The trouble is that the C-shaped retractor being C-shaped causes the obicularis oris muscle to be stretched and the masseter muscle to move up. By doing that, you end up with uh, a little separation oftentimes over on the, on the side here, and it's maybe just enough that it can throw off your photos. Um, there's an easy solution to this. Here's a close-up of what, what happens when you do that. Um, an easy solution to that is to switch over to a V-shaped retractor. That, a C, we had a C-shaped retractor in the before. This is a V-shaped retractor. It allows us to get a very nice view of the teeth from the side, 
um, and the patient's able to stay completely closed because we're moving the opicularosaurus muscle back in an apex instead of stretching it in a big parabola. Um, so now we're able to get full occlusion here and uh, be able to share the information properly with our technician. We're going to look at the, the other side also. I'm just showing that we uh, check both views when we're looking at the buccal view, and we're also seeing that we're evaluating that uh, molar relationship. In this case, you see us jumping a single, um, a single posterior tooth crossbite. Our third view that we're going to look at is our anterior overjet playthrough. For this, we want to focus on our anterior coupling. Is there too much contact in the final aligner? We'll also, again, evaluate the maxillary incisal inclination now from a different angle. We're going to be looking up on those teeth from, from basically the belly button. It gives us a chance to really evaluate how things look overall. Uh, but this is a great example. Uh, you want to evaluate where you are before you get started with your treatment. So that when we look at this, we're able to say, oh, we've got anterior contact here, we've got no contact here and here. Are we creating an anterior open bite? Are we creating too much contact? The only way you can know is to go to this view and look at this at the start. Now when we play through, we're able to determine whether or not we end up with more or less. And ideally, we want to end up with what fits with our occlusal principles. Um, that may mean that you have full anterior coupling across the anterior teeth. It may mean that you have uh, a half millimeter of space. It may mean that there's enough space for what we call shim stock. Um, everyone's going to be different, and that'll be according to your own occlusal principles. But the idea is if you've got an open bite to begin with and you um, want to close it, that's great. But if you have teeth that are con in contact and you create an open bite at the end of treatment, um, the patient may have difficulty chewing and may not be happy with their overall result. Also, it probably will affect your function, the most important aspect. So looking at this, is going to be, it's going to be something that we're going to evaluate. We'll touch base on this in a little bit. Next is our, our canine contact view. I feel that the canine contact view is very important because it gives us the chance to see if we're facilitating canine guidance. Um, the trouble right now that we have is we do not have a virtual articulator. I'm sure that with the, with the wonderful advancements that Invisalign has, uh, that won't be too far off. I know there's about a dozen different companies that are uh, vying for that space right now. But we don't have the ability to, ha to look at uh, our excursive movements, so we have to guess where we're at. And if we look at this canine view right from this, this chance, we, right from this view, we get a chance to evaluate where we are when that jaw slides, that lower jaw slides into ex its excursive movements and seeing if we're able to get the most ideal cuspid rise to provide the protection uh, when the patient functions in side movements. Um, backing up, we also are going to get a chance to evaluate our posterior cusp inclination. Have we gotten enough buccal expansion? Maybe it, have we gotten too much? We certainly don't want that, but we do want to be able to take it full advantage of buccal uh, expansion in the posterior region. And it also gives us a chance to evaluate our interdigitation uh, from this view. So it's a wonderful view for us to be able to pick these things up, focusing in particular on the canines. Finally, our lingual incisor playthrough, I feel, is a very, very important view for us to look at how we've changed our bite from deep to shallow. In this case, jumping that cross bite, we saw this uh, one case before. Um, you'd be amazed when you just flip the models around and look at it from this view, oftentimes, how deep the bite is and how much you're able to actually improve that bite and provide better anterior guidance with posterior disclusion by uh, putting the teeth in a better position in the uh, anterior region. So I jumped to this view last and play through it just to see how things end up. Um, I'd like to go to the next part of our agenda, which is to look at um, the five different essential tips I have available um, that I'd like to share with you. The first is to evaluate the anterior coupling. And we're going to do that via that sheet, the different views that we talked about. 
Um, I talked about making sure that there's enough overjet space uh, when we make a change. If it looks like it's real tight, you want to, you may want to ask for more. Uh, the technicians sometimes make it so that there's too much there, and when you're done with the case, you probably have experienced a patient where everything's all done and they have frematis on the anterior teeth. Usually the laterals or the centrals on the top. They'll bite down. You put your finger there, and you can feel a little vibration when they tap down. Now, your option is to go ahead and equilibrate those teeth, usually on the cingulum of the upper teeth, um, or to move those lower teeth into a better position. You can do that by using the virtual C-chain to help accomplish that goal, the overcorrection aligners. And we'll oftentimes, with a full case treatment, we'll use passive aligners to help line those up. Let me share with you what exactly a C-chain is and how it works. A C-chain is nothing but a, a bunch of loops of um, elastic that are, are put together in, in a row to help squeeze teeth together, cinch them together to close spaces. This is what they've been used traditionally for in orthodontics. In, a, in an Invisalign ClinCheck, here we are at stage 10, and it looks like things are all touching. And imagine that they are, but maybe we've done a little bit more IPR than's necessary, and we have a little bit of extra spacing here. We could ask for a virtual C-chain at the end of treatment. In this case, we'd ask for three giving us a total of 13 aligners. The first 10 are normal. The overcorrection aligner, these last three C-chain aligners, would squeeze these six anterior teeth together to help close any spaces, to give us tighter interproximal spaces. That is the traditional um, uh, use for a C-chain. Here we are looking at a ClinCheck from that, that uh, wonderful anterior overjet view, and we're going to play through. And you'll notice right at the end where all these teeth snug together. Um, this, this, we had a couple passive aligners so that we could get it so that the C-chains both move together at the end of treatment. We'll play through one more time. You'll notice that we snug them together right there. If we look at it, here's stage 10. Oops, sorry. Here's stage 10. There's 11. There's 12. Just hugging those teeth together. Now, that's what the C-chain is and the idea behind it. We use it on an as-needed basis. If you've got tight contacts and you use a C-chain, you have to be aware that you may cause inadvertent intrusion because the contacts are already tight. The teeth have got to go somewhere. They try and squeeze down, what we call the watermelon seed effect. Um, I want you to consider using the C-chain for something much, much more important. Um, I usually ask for two or three of them at the end of treatment for both arches. If there's no passive aligners, I need to match up the C-chain over correction aligners at the end of treatment. I'll show you that in just a moment. I use them only if necessary, and interestingly enough, 95% of the time, I throw them out or actually use them. I save them, and we wipe the patient's name off the bag with a little alcohol wipe, and we use those as samples to hand out to patients when we do a consult. So 95% of the time, I don't even use them. When I do use them, it's primarily on the lower only. And again, remember, typically orthodontists would use those to close spaces, and that's fine. But I want you to consider using them to provide an excellent occlusal outcome at the end of treatment to reduce premature contacts of the anterior teeth. So if you've got that frematis and you've asked for these uh, overcorrection aligners, um, you can go ahead and just retract those bottom teeth, not using the upper ones at all, but use those on the bottom, retract them to pull them a little bit away to reduce the amount of frematis. Notice that you may have to perform some IPR, and of course this is going to be uh, eyeballing it type of IPR. You're not going to have instructions for it, so you're going to be very, very conservative to make a little bit of space if the contacts are already tight, and uh, you make it in any spot where it looks like there might be a black triangle already uh, noticeable. What I mean by matching up the C-chain, we'll look here at the bottom. We've got 18 aligners total in treatment. Let's zoom in on this. What we're going to do is take these two 
see chain over correction liners out of the top bags and move them over and line them up with the two lowers. We don't ever want to start over correction until we've got both arches completed with treatment. And then we'll line them up and use them in an as-needed basis. I think it's important to start with the right bite. I've shared that with you. And um, again, I, I look at that at my first overview, but I focus on it. Uh, and my, my goal is when I go to that buckle view in the second part of my punch list to focus on it um, and to come in as, as perpendicular as possible when I take my photos so that I can provide a very good information for my clinician down in the Costa Rica. Um, remember that we can send pictures of the mounted models. We can send it with the, uh, the bite registration itself or marks on the teeth or send a new bite registration, but having the right bite is going to be ideal to giving us the best outcome. I want to be able to maximize efficiency, and one of the ways I'll do that is to look for extra buckle expansion if necessary. It will allow me to reduce the overall amount of IPR. Now, notice uh, I said to, I asked you to set your preferences to align defaults at the start, which you can do. You can, though, if you have specific cases, just go ahead into your clinical preferences on that particular prescription and say, Give me no IPR at the start so that I can look at the possible alternatives that are available. Um, it'll give me a chance to kind of see what's going on. Um, I'll keep in mind that doing that will overall add to the overall length of treatment. Um, it'll probably provide me with more treatment, but it also may uh, tip, uh, tip off the uh, thing where we end up doing some extra round tripping. I want to also maximize efficiency by looking for hang-ups early on, in particular ankylosed teeth or what we call stubborn teeth. Um, it's important that if we've got very, very long rotated canines uh, that we make sure that we're monitoring those throughout treatment so that we can see that those guys are turning, what we call stubborn teeth. And finally, uh, those of you that have been able to attend uh, my lectures, you know that, that um, I'm a fanatic about chiseled attachments. Uh, attachments can look beautiful, sculptured attachments that, that look like a Chagall uh, uh, sculpture, or they, or they can look like fried eggs on the side of a, teeth, a tooth. And the trouble with all that extra flash that's associated with an attachment is that you lose the ability for that attachment to, to work efficiently and optimally. And when I say optimally, I mean in particular with optimized attachments where the point of force is typically about the size of a pencil lead tip um, on that attachment. So if you have a big sloppy attachment, you're losing the ability to move your teeth because you haven't been able to chisel them, give your nice, yourself a nice ideal outcome. Passive aligners, I think, are a wonderful thing. We've asked for, we asked for that for a number of years before we got it. It helps to reduce what we call the grunge factor, but it also allows us to match up those overcorrection aligners that we talked about um, so that we don't have to pull them out. By asking for passive aligners, it's going to uh, be a bunch of just dummy zero aligners uh, that will automatically line up our overcorrection aligners at the end of treatment together. Notice that when you ask for passive aligners, you can ask to have the attachments removed at that stage so that now they, in essence, act like a retainer. They don't have the bumps on them, and they're a little bit easier for patients to wear. Keep in mind, again, that they're only available for Invisalign Full and the Invisalign Teen product. And finally, I ask that you understand occlusion. Uh, you, can, you, you know just uh, from listening to me that, that I'm a fanatic about occlusion as well. Um, I, I think it's very important that we understand the uh, centric relation and centric occlusion. And I'm tossing this out, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
it's, I, I embrace all the different uh, occlusal philosophies out there. I just encourage people to gather into one of them so that we can have a, a meaningful conversation together. But uh, it's important for us to know the difference between these things because that's what's going to give us stability at the end of treatment. If we understand that, we'll have a much better grasp on things like unintended posterior intrusion and the unintended lateral incisor intrusion that we sometimes see. They're both related directly to occlusal principles. Um, one of the things that I also uh, want you to think about and look for is the proper curve of Wilson and curve of Spee. We tend to want to flatten those guys out. Um, and again, this is a, my, my personal occlusal uh, principles, but the globe effect, which is uh, something that Dawson has taught in the past, where you're able to literally take a ball and lay it on the teeth on the lower arch and have it touch each and every tooth in contact is really kind of looking more towards the proper type of arrangement that you'd like to have. And finally, uh, I'd like you to consider post-ortho uh, equilibration, adjusting the occlusion at the end of treatment. I share with you, as I share with my patients, that, um, that this is almost always performed. And the reason's real simple. If the teeth match in a bad bite and you move the teeth, how can they possibly match? They can't. It will require some sort of minor, minor equilibration or sometimes even two or three visits to get the teeth to match properly. We want the hills and valleys to fit together properly. And by doing so, we'll reduce the overall amount of relapse that we see because you have because of the premature contacts and interferences that will tend to push the teeth in a different direction. Let's take a quick peek at a case. I, I grabbed this case as one that uh, that we're using in CE1, and I, I had the uh, releases already for him. August is a, a, a wonderful guy. Um, he tries. He's a lawyer for the for the U.S. government here in Washington D.C. He tries cases that uh, that typically are seven and eight figure cases against uh, big corporations. And his concern was that he he said he felt like uh, um, uh, like Alfred E. Newman, the guy uh, from the Mad Magazine. And it was mostly because of his smile. And it just said when he was up there, you know, litigating these cases, it, he wasn't confident. Um, in our Initial uh, ClinCheck, our initial, sorry, our initial Invisalign consultation, what we call our IQC, uh, we noticed a number of different things. First off, tooth number seven and nine not only had previous root canal treatment, uh, but there's a potential that they were ankylosed as well as uh, they had a tremendous amount of root resorption. We noticed that there's a lot of uneven gingival heights here. He had a, a lower uh, lingual retainer that had busted off uh, on the canines. And because of that, this canine over here was displaced. And we noticed that that displaced canine uh, on both sides uh, caused us to, to really not have the most ideal canine guidance when we're looking at it. We have pretty good interdigitation of the teeth, although we do have a little uh, open bite here associated with the placement of that canine. Uh, so we look at these overall things, the gingival height, where we are with things. He's got a lot of stain and some other restorative issues that we're going to want to address. And when we went and got our first ClinCheck back, this is what my punch list ended up looking like. You can see I'm talking about the incisal edges of 8 and 9. I want to make sure that I've got those guys addressed. And in this case, I'm going to um, extrude. That means extrude tooth number 9 by 0.5 millimeters. We had a little black triangle between 24 and 25 uh, I wasn't happy with the gingival height of number seven, so on uh, and so forth, all the way through my punch list. This list, again, start to finish, takes me less than two or three minutes. I'll fill it out. I'll get my information transferred over into the prescription uh, uh, modification for my tech, and I'll throw this in the chart, and then I'll end up tossing it when we're all done. But I have all the information right here. Sometimes I even flip the sheet over, and I write on the back side of it. These are the movements that we asked for with the ClinCheck. Here's the second one that came back for us. You can notice that we got pretty much the, everything that we wanted. 
Um, but there are still some things. Um, I, the midline wasn't exactly perfect, but it was pretty darn close. I'm fine with that. Uh, we had an attachment here because I felt this might be a stubborn tooth. We had um, the, the gingival height issue addressed as best as we could. We had uh, some good buckle expansion here. Uh, it's pretty much everything. This went back for a, another modification after that. It came back. We got our final one. It was uh, 14 aligners total treatment, and we were able to take uh, August to this, this final result. We went ahead, and, and after getting a nice arch and everything else, we replaced the old restorations. He had, as you can see from his previous ortho, not only did he have bicuspid extractions, but he had the classic halo effect of uh, enamel, enamel dysplasia around where the brackets were. We went ahead and uh, whitened those up as best as we could. We did a teeny bit of bonding on some, some deeper ones up on the top there. Ended up with a nice result. and In essence, changed uh, uh, the way he felt about himself and gave him what he felt was the confidence to, to really be able to be present in front of the, the other litigators in court uh, here in uh, Washington, D.C. This is the type of result that we like to accomplish with being able to use the, um, the punch list and going through our, our principles for our ClinCheck. Um, I, I've tossed a mountain of material at you today in uh, a relatively quick time, trying to stay on schedule. We got a little bit of a, a late start there, and I wanted to be able to uh, make sure I got everything in. All this information, as we shared, will be archived. I didn't uh, mention where those uh, retractors are available, and I'll be sure to have that dropped into the um, into the SD Expert uh, thing as well, uh, the V-shaped retractors.